Hello everyone, welcome to the new podcast series, namely Issues That Matter Greek-Turkish Dialogue Podcast. This is a joint project by the Elia Map and the Frederick Nyman Foundation. As you know, the main aim of this podcast series is to discuss, to scrutinize the non-classical, non-orthodox issues between Turkey and Greek relations. In this regard, today we will talk about energy and particularly renewable energy with two very valuable guests. My first guest is uh, Konstantin Leonas, is the researcher of the uh, Elia Maps Mediterranean program and also head of EE affairs at the NEL Hydrogen. My other guest is Professor Mitat Çelikpala, uh, Professor of International Relations and Political Science in Kadiras University in Istanbul. Welcome you both. My first question goes to the Konstantin and I really wonder what are the classical and the fundamental renewable energy policies of Greece currently. Could you please elaborate these policies a little bit for us, Konstantin? Sure. Uh, first of all, thanks very much for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I will say that um, it would be it's good to understand broadly the development of, of Greek energy policy, again, broadly speaking, uh, because that will help explain the renewable policy as well. So if we if we take things somewhat historically, in 2019, Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis, he went before the UN General Assembly and he announced the plan to phase out coal by 2028. So we have to remember that uh, Greece has a legacy of using coal in, in power generation for the large majority of the, of the electricity produced. Uh, specifically, this... Uh, announcement it led to a decision by public power corporation in 2023 to close down 12 coal units leaving one open in Ptolemaida which they said they would close in 2025 so that means that you know Greece would have to find a way of making up for closing these coal units and yes natural gas has been a topic of much discussion in uh, in Greece and the region broadly speaking and fast forward to today two years later things a lot of things have changed in the world we've had global pandemic we now have a war on our borders with with Russia high gas prices we know gas prices fossil fuel prices are always volatile so there have been some political statements more recently in April Kyriakos Mitsotakis has said that we'll keep running on coal until 2028 so there seems to have been a you know a, let's say a, a winding back of what he announced a couple of years ago but the good news is that the private uh, private companies as well as PPC they seem on track to fulfilling renewable commitments and coming to renewable policy now in Greece This is very much linked to European law and the development of uh, renewable energy policy at EU level. So Greece has already achieved its 2020 objectives. It has more than 20% renewables in the power mix. And by 2030, according to Greece's National Energy and Climate Plan submitted to the European Union, they want to get to 35%. And one of the ways it wants to do that is by using offshore wind. So if you look today, more than 20%, even close to 30% of the power mix 
in Greece is coming from renewables and a large chunk of that, the largest chunk of that is from wind power. The rest is a little bit of hydro and a little bit of solar. But this year, Greece has, uh, the Greek government has signed into law, a law on offshore wind, which aims to produce two gigawatts of electricity offshore by 2030. Those are some of the more recent developments. And um, by 2024 as well, there is an old objective that was, again, communicated by the Mitsotakis government a couple of years ago that by 2024, they wanted to connect the the Kiklades, uh, the Kiklades Islands together. So in, in a nutshell, uh, that's the energy policy, broadly speaking, of Greece, the renewable energy policy and, and some of the history that's uh, led us to where we are today. Thanks, Constantin, for this uh, general summary. What, what is going on on the other side of the sea, Mitat? What you can say that, I mean, Turkey has been facing same problems, same issues, or whether Turkey has that kind of solid plan. What is the situation in Turkey about renewable energy? Yes, it's very similar, in fact, in Turkish case. Uh, and we all know that Turkey is an energy-important country and mostly dependent on hydrocarbons, namely oil and gas, natural gas. And the rapid economic and population growth in the past two decades have not only driven uh, strong growth in energy demand, but also an increase in, in, in import dependency of Turkey, especially for oil and gas. Uh, and as a result, Turkey has emphasized security of energy supply as, a, as one of the uh, central pillars of Turkey's energy strategy. And this includes efforts to expand domestic oil and gas exploration and production and to diversify oil and gas supply sources and infrastructure. Uh, but Turkey has also sought to strengthen the security of its energy supply uh, by increasing production of renewable energy Uh, and reducing energy consumption through increased energy efficiency. Those are the main pillars of Turkish energy policy in general. And as a result, uh, Turkey's renewable capacity grew by 50% over the last five years. And this is a huge amount of sea change, maybe, I can say. And the International Energy Agency's evaluation see Turkey as a solid progressing country in recent years in improving the security and diversity of its energy supplies. In the fight against climate change and to reduce the country's current account deficit from its substantial energy import bill, uh, we see the renewable energy as one of the critical importance to Turkey. In, 19, in 2019, Turkey had the fifth highest level of renewable capacity additions in Europe and the 15th highest in the world. And this is very important from Turkish side. And the energy agency's reports notes that Turkey can achieve even stronger growth in renewables, especially solar, wind, and geothermal energy. And given its considerable resource endowment, Turkey has a capacity. Uh, its rich potential for expansion of renewables is not limited to electricity generation, but it is also relevant in the heating sector as well. And notably, Turkey uses only an estimated 3% of its solar and 15% of its onshore wind potential. Therefore, we see a kind of a potential. And when we look at the numbers, uh, as Konstantin mentioned, for the Greece, we see that Turkey's renewables expansion is mainly driven by hydro, wind and solar energy. And Turkey also has sizable geothermal capacity. And the current data shows that Turkey met 12% of 
It is total electric generation from the wind and solar in 2020 and corresponding to 9.4% of the world's average. It is good. It's higher than the world's average. And I can say that the country has a higher potential than its installed solar and wind capacity as well. Uh, and the country ranked second in 2020 in the terms of additional hydropower capacity after China. And Turkey is the world's fourth biggest geothermal country in the world, the fourth one, accounting for 11 of global geothermal power, which means Turkey has a geothermal and wind installed capacity, uh, and it is mainly concentrated in the Aegean region, and this is a chance for us for, for the cooperation. And Turkey's installed renewable power accounts for around half of the country's electricity output. And Turkey's wind power is concentrated on the on more in the Aegean and Marmara provinces as well. Uh, and another one, most probably, is a biomass capacity. And Turkey's biomass capacity is growing at a slower rate compared to other resources. And this is the picture of Turkey's renewables, in fact. Thank you so much. I mean, it is both surprising and fascinating to see that comparing to the many different shrinking areas, these two countries has been doing a very uh, decent jobs regarding the renewable energy. So this is this is also very fascinating for the region. This is also fascinating for the future of the globe. But what about, I mean, we have been hearing many conflicting areas between Greece and Turkey. Some of them are made up, some of them are uh, quite quite based on the political uh, atmosphere, what is going on in both countries. What about this renewable energy? I mean, you, Mitat, mentioned about the cooperation. Uh, do you think there is a, enough room or enough opportunity to create different uh, different level of uh, cooperations between Greece and Turkey in terms of the renewable energy? I mean, uh, I can give the floor, the virtual floor, actually, to Konstantin first and then go back to Mitat, if you don't mind. Yeah, the... The short answer to that is yes, of course, there's room for, for cooperation there. Um, just to touch on a point that you alluded to, there has been a lot of fiery rhetoric, let's say, in, in the Aegean and, and the East Med, dating back even 10 years when we've started making offshore discoveries of of gas in in the East Med. There's been talk about gas and oil in the Aegean for many, many years, dating back to before I was born. Um, but, you know, this, this discussion has been very much um, framed in terms of, you know, it, are these are these fossil fuels fuel for cooperation or are they fuel for tension? And the way it's played out over the years, it's it's been a case more of the latter than the previous. It's more fuel for tension than, than cooperation for political, uh, mainly for, for political reasons. I think if you look at things from, from a purely private perspective, so from the perspective of industrial players, then um, there, is, there is interest, there is potential, but it has been the, the political uh, the political situation that has hindered uh, in investments and a lack of a lack of clarity, um, let's say. But to try and look at things a, a bit more a bit more positively, or rather, try and find w- what is the root of the problem in our region. The root of the problem is um, is interconnectivity. Actually, this is the challenge. 
Turkey is focusing on on developing its its grid, its energy capacities. Greece is doing the same. Greece has forged an alliance with um, with Cyprus, with Israel, with Egypt. Uh, there was a massive um, a massive announcement just this week, actually, about the Eurasia interconnector. So that's an electricity cable essentially connecting Greece, Cyprus, Israel. This is a massive development because, as I said, the challenge in the region is interconnectivity and developing an energy market in Southeast Europe, connecting Southeast Europe with with North Africa, Turkey. Yeah, uh, this is this is what we need to do. We need to take the quote unquote good examples from other parts of Europe. Um, take Scandinavia, for example. You have in in northwestern Europe. The electricity markets are interconnected. We've done a really good job, actually, in the last few years, supported by the European Union in um, improving our interconnectivity on the gas side. We see Azeri gas is flowing via Turkey into Greece. This has been a, a an important policy of the European Union to diversify away from Russian from Russian gas, the southern gas corridor. Turkey is an important player there. You're a transit hub for gas coming into Europe. We need to do the same now for electricity. You take, um, I take Denmark and Norway as an example. When the wind isn't blowing in, in Denmark, they have the interconnection with Norway and they can bring electricity produced by hydro into Denmark and then vice versa. When the prices are really high for hydro in Norway, they can take advantage of the low prices in Denmark because of all the all the offshore uh, wind producing electricity in Denmark. We need a we need that interconnectivity between Greece and Turkey, and broadly speaking, within the the region. So so yeah, there's no reason why why we can't do this. It's it's a question of of private investment having the right framework conditions in place. Uh, I'll come. I'll come this private and the civil society role yeah. uh, for the next question, but in here. What you, go, go let, on, let, just just to just to finish that thought, you need that the private investment, the right framework conditions, the finance, and the political will, courage, and determination to do these things. Well, I mean, you nailed uh, right now <laughs> the conversation. So, uh, I mean, yeah, I think the political attitude, political desires and the mentality in the long run is is the key factor uh, not only for the renewable energy but also in a broader sense to the relations between Greece and Turkey but what you, how, how you can see uh, this cooperation opportunities from Istanbul meetup yeah simply I agree with the Constantin the simple answer is yes there is a potential and parties are in need of getting together. And a fundamental element of the Greek-Turkish tug-of-war is one of the perception and misperception. Uh, although the field of energy under normal circumstances will be uh, an optimal area of cooperation, the geopolitical and security concerns in both Turkey and Greece have made it extremely hard to identify areas of convergence uh, and common projects that can be received in good faith both in Ankara and Athens. And this is very serious. And at the same time, the prospect of cooperation in terms of improving the energy authority and independence from Russian gas, as well as in terms of energy transition, have been strongly boosted under the global energy instability and insecurity 
and of course an environmental pro protection those are the issues that may we can get together and cooperate with and the latter especially the environmental protection aspect focuses mainly on promoting the application of renewable energy technologies and developing low carbon economies vigorously and it attempts to analyze analyzing three basic problems in fact the first one is the basis and the rationale to advocate cooperation between Greece and Turkey in the energy field. And secondly, in parallel with that, a mutually beneficial and win-win energy cooperation framework and the establishment of efficient uh, and effective cooperation mechanisms. When the parties get together, it's a possibility to move forward. And although the current state of affairs is highly charged and, uh, and crisis-prone, the two can moderate and manage the differences, especially after the elections that are scheduled around the same time in 2023. And energy could play a catalyst role to further cooperation between the parties. And again, for a, some couple of last words, the Russian invasion in Ukraine has changed the strategic calculus of all regional and global actors. This is the fact. And that the price and supply chain crisis can create new opportunities and rekindle the spirit of cooperation. Its energy resources are already seen as vital alternative to Russian oil and gas, in, in Eastern Mediterranean especially, and Turkish-Greek cooperation may cancel out regional geopolitical rivalries. It's very important, and further promote the regional cooperation. And I, I may say that both parties are net gas importers, and new thinking and developing infrastructure in a joint manner should be promoted, and it has to be supported by some joint projects to, to, to further this cooperation uh, with the renewables as well. Uh, my last question is about the, the role of the private sector and the civil society. Do you think these both countries is a, uh, like full of conscience and strong uh, and, 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 I mean, desirable uh, civil society and the private sectors to enrich the cooperation between two countries' renewable energy policies? Because all of these issues is pretty much related with politics, but what about without politics? So I'll go again with Konstantin and then we will conclude with Mitat. I think that on this, um, from, on this perspective of you know, the role of civil society, in particular, both private companies and, and government entities, they they can have a very important impact here. Let me give you an example. In Greece, it can take up to seven to eight years to get a permit for an offshore wind farm. That's, that's a very long time. Seven to eight years. We're 2022 and we want to reach 35% renewables consumption by the end of this decade. And you're a private investor and you go to Greece and you look at the data, Wind Europe, the biggest, the largest association representing companies investing in, in onshore and offshore wind, says seven to eight years to get an offshore wind permit in Greece. This is unacceptable. There's, bureaucra there's bureaucracy that needs to be tackled. Greece needs to... It needs to align with European laws and regulations in terms of the time it takes to hand out permits. There needs to be a what? There needs to be a one-stop shop. You can't wait for four different ministers to to sign off a permit. It needs to be one single authority, a one-stop shop. But going back to civil society, there's a there's an issue there. 
a lot of times you you hear um, criticism coming from civil society and NGOs that things aren't happening fast enough. Across Europe and across the world, we need to drastically increase renewable power generation and capacities. We need to bring new capacities, additional capacities online, whether it's for electricity production or whether it's for renewable hydrogen production. Renewable hydrogen also big big potential in in Greece, in Turkey, and the region. You need more renewable capacities to produce renewable hydrogen. What's the bottleneck? One of the main bottlenecks that we're not talking enough about in uh, in the region is the way in which some civil society actors block these projects offshore. So this is this is a topic where I think governments can come together together with industry to have a real conversation, to try and have a real discussion with civil society and, and find a way forward because this, this can't continue anymore. You can't have civil society on the one hand say, we're not moving fast enough, but then on the other blocking permits from being handed out. So I think this is an area for, for, for cooperation. Right. Thank you so much. Mitat? Yeah, it's a good point. This interconnectivity and increasing renewable production capacity are good starters. In fact, we can move from this point and on. It's a good thing. And, and I can say that Greece is already an EU member and has a role in European energy security. And together with Turkey, both become reliable transportation hubs for the traditional energy resources. And energy security away from Russian dependency can facilitate convergence of interests in a way that can make cooperation mutually beneficial for both countries. And this is something that the EU and the US will come, welcome and actively support uh, together with the, the private companies or private sector and, 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 and other kind of groups. And uh, the two countries agree on a dialogue at a technical level with the support and participation of uh, such as European Commission, European Union, whatsoever, and aiming at crafting a step-by-step -step process on negotiating and concluding a kind of a maybe 10 to 5-year framework for energy and environment cooperation. This is, there is a place for the civil society initiative and private sector as well. And this is very important. And this is a starter, most probably. I believe in it. And the two countries should, in this document, establish a priority cooperation goals, such as establishing a bilateral high-level dialogue on prom promoting energy conservation and environmental protection in the Aegean and Eastern Mediterranean. And I see there is a potential and possibility and negotiating and concluding a memorandum of understanding on bilateral cooperation in clean energy and climate crisis, crisis would have the parties to focus initially on the renewable energy and further grid modernization as important areas. And most probably civil society and private sector contribute in a positive way in such a kind of a cooperation scheme. And in the field of clean energy and establishing a mechanism, consequently provides for a robust framework for technical cooperation between government agencies or independent national authorities, including the civil society. A grand agreement on Turkish-Greek energy cooperation is a possibility, uh, and the parties, as a spillover effect, may work on a pilot projects. Focus, focusing on technical and functional cooperation in the realm of energy transition, renewables and clean energy, a joint project, for example, on producing wind energy or the, pro the project called the Wind Peace, for example, could be envisaged as a supportive area 
in the broader energy co cooperation. And the context should be at the energy transition should include something greener than gas and should be based on long-term mutual commitment to work together. Uh, a wind farm or platform in the international waters in the northern Aegean should be a project that can enjoy support and most probably private sector uh, is ready to, to uh, invest such a kind of an area and it is very important. And uh, a similar project, for example, on hydrokinetic energy can be designed in the Eastern Mediterranean, in the international waters uh, together jointly. This is also a good starter. And I believe that if the, the political will emerge between the parties, most probably the civil society and the uh, private sector will contribute very positively to such a kind of a cooperation scheme. Thank you so much, Konstantin. Thank you so much, Mitat. I mean, from my side, I learned a lot about a, a topic that I didn't know that much. And I hope our listeners will also learn uh, a lot. And also, I fulfill a full of hope uh, to see that these two countries have solid uh, structures, solid plans. And there's also an ongoing uh, very uh, touchy issues about the renewable energy and there is lots of room, lots of future opportunities for the collaboration. I would like to thank you both of you again and thank you to our listeners. Thank you. Thank you.